Compass Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. Red Sea Response. Good morning. I'm Mike Gavin in for Gordon Deal along with Nicole Murray. It's Wednesday, January 17th, 2024, and here's what we have for you this hour. The U.S. military hit back at Houthis in Yemen as another ship was struck by a missile in the Red Sea. The Senate took the next steps toward avoiding a partial government shutdown, which could still happen as soon as this weekend. Another day of record cold temperatures swept much of the Rockies, Great Plains, and Midwest, with wind chills below minus 30 extending into the Mississippi Valley. And just like the wind chill makes it feel colder, even a non-recession could make your finances feel worse. Clearly, um, economists are, you know, they now have more faith in um, the Fed's ability to achieve a so-called soft landing, which is where, you know, inflation comes down, but there, um, there isn't an outright recession. Having said that, um, this, this is a scenario in which it, it, it doesn't look great for a lot of people, even though it won't be an out-and-out recession. Harriet Tory of the Wall Street Journal with more on how a year without a recession could still feel like one later in the hour. More cold temperatures, ice and snow will descend across the U.S. ahead of another Arctic blast later this week. Hard freeze warnings are also in place for parts of the south, especially along the Gulf Coast, as the weather could damage water pipes and sensitive vegetation. Houston broke its low temperature record for January 16th. The city's mayor, John Whitmire, cautioned residents to be careful this morning. We're not through. I would urge Houstonians to be cautious. City operations will go back to normal tomorrow. City employees will be at work tomorrow. The schools will be open tomorrow. But you've got to be cautious. There are going to be ice patches probably until about midday tomorrow. Severe weather led to school shutdowns and chaotic travel conditions yesterday as Arctic air from Canada brought sub-freezing temperatures to three-quarters of the country. About 68 million Americans were under a winter weather advisory, and snow droughts ended in New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and Washington, D.C. After two years, more than 60,000 customers are without power in Oregon this morning, where half of the reported 14 deaths attributed to the Arctic blast have occurred. Texas residents are being asked to conserve power for one more day as nearly 10,000 customers Customers there have no power. The U.S. military carried out new strikes in Yemen yesterday against anti-ship ballistic missiles in a Houthi-controlled part of the country as a missile struck a Greek-owned vessel in the Red Sea. Attacks by the Iran-allied Houthi militia on ships in the region since November have affected companies and alarmed major powers and escalation of Israel's more than three-month-old war with Hamas militants in Gaza. The Houthis say they are acting in solidarity with Palestinians and have threatened to expand attacks. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan in Davos. Countries and companies that have nothing to do with Middle East whatsoever are being affected, more than 50 nations in nearly 30 attacks. And so it's a it's a crisis that the whole world needs to respond to. U.S. officials told Reuters that in a bid to cut off their funding and supply of weapons, the Biden administration plans to put Houthi rebels back on a U.S. list of terrorist organizations. The Biden administration had taken the Houthis off two lists, designating them as terrorists in 2021, reversing a decision by former President Donald Trump. The White House said additional U.S. strikes took out ballistic missiles Houthis were ready to launch. About 12 percent of world shipping traffic accesses the Suez Canal, via the Red Sea.
The Senate overcame its first procedural hurdle last night to ward off a partial shutdown on Saturday, advancing another two-tiered stopgap spending bill that would kick government funding deadlines into March. In a 68-13 vote, the upper chamber advanced the measure which would fund parts of the government through March 1st and March 8th, with federal cash expiring in a matter of days for the Departments of Agriculture, Transportation, Veterans Affairs, Energy and more. A lot is riding on whether the Senate can come to an agreement to quickly pass the stopgap, which requires consent from all 100 senators. Any one senator could hold things up and cause a delay, risking a brief weekend shutdown. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Time is of the essence. If we don't act soon, the government will run out of funding at midnight this Friday, January 19th just a few days away. The House is expected to take up the measure as soon as it passes the Senate. House Speaker Mike Johnson will almost certainly need help from the other side of the aisle to get the bill passed as he's facing heat from some of his own party for cutting a deal with Democrats. If you still have landline phone service, you may have noticed that your monthly bills have been skyrocketing. That's because the FCC no longer regulates copper lines and phone companies are jacking up the price of their service. UMA is an internet home phone service that lets you keep enjoying the safety and peace of mind of a home phone without paying an arm and a leg. In fact, with a one-time purchase of the UMA Tello, you get internet home phone service for free. All you pay are applicable taxes and fees. Unlike mobile phones, UMA has address-based 911, so dispatchers will know exactly where to find you in an emergency. In the event you call 911, UMA can send a text alert to loved ones. UMA even includes a free mobile app so you can take your home number on the go. And don't worry, you can keep your home phone number for a one-time fee or get a new one for free. Setup is easy. It takes less than 10 minutes. Stop paying too much for home phone service. Visit UMA.com slash Gordon Deal today to get a special discount. That's O-O-M-A dot com slash Gordon Deal. Gordon Deal off for one more day, we think. I'm Mike Gavin. Thanks for coming by on this Wednesday. Donald Trump dominated the Iowa caucuses like no candidate ever has on Monday. And the former president's campaign operations are a far cry from where they were eight years ago. How did Trump become so unstoppable in Iowa? For answers, we turn to Molly Ball, senior political correspondent at The Wall Street Journal, joining us from Des Moines. Molly, domination like this doesn't really happen in the this early in the campaign cycle. Just how historic was Trump's margin of victory Monday night? That's right. It is, in fact, uh, not only is it the largest uh, margin of victory in a contested Iowa caucus uh, in history, about the you know the 50-year history of these Iowa caucuses being conducted, it's actually more than double uh, the record margin, uh, which I believe was was Bob Dole back in the 90s. Uh, so, it's a it's a landmark victory for Trump. It's a dominating victory for Trump. It's not anything anybody uh, was surprised by. It's a really uh, right in line with what the polls were predicting. Uh, but it really makes him, I think, the prohibitive uh, favorite for the Republican nomination at this point. Uh, Trump's campaign operation itself is vastly different than the one he had in 2016. How has that changed in the last eight years? It's a big difference, and I think it's made a big difference, and I think you can give them a lot of credit uh, for the result that they achieved in the caucuses. Uh, you know, I covered the 2016 campaign, and I used to say that Trump's campaign basically consisted of a Twitter account and an airplane. This time around, he's got a really sophisticated operation behind him. He's got 
these cutthroat operatives who really know what they're doing. Uh, and if you look back on the course of the campaign, if you remember when he announced that he would, surprising a lot of people, run for a third time 14 months ago, uh, he, he really did uh, mount a comeback here. He had been down in, in many polls to, to Ron DeSantis. A lot of people blamed him for Republicans not doing well in those midterms in 2022. Uh, and we've really seen over the course of the year that he's managed to build his political strength back up and uh, recapture uh, the loyalty of the Republican base. Right. As you mentioned, a lot of people might have forgotten at this point. But when Trump announced his bid to retake the White House a little over a year ago, he was he wasn't as short of everything. It was at a political a low point. What happened along the way to change that? Yeah, I think there were a number of sort of pivot points along the way here. It's really a combination of uh, clever campaigning on Trump's part, uh, mistakes by his rivals, especially Ron DeSantis, who was supposed to be uh, his his main competitor and who uh, really messed up a lot of things in this campaign, I think you can say, uh, and then events that also played into Trump's hands. I think the most significant uh, factor in the campaign beyond just sort of campaign tactics uh, well, two most significant factors. Number one, I think uh, DeSantis underperforming expectations, getting in the campaign late after Trump had already really uh, beaten him up in, in campaign ads and in his rhetoric. So he sort of limped into the campaign when he finally did get in. And uh, as as many have noted, was sort of a, a, an uninspiring presence uh, and didn't impress a lot of voters once he did get in. And his campaign had a lot of turmoil. Uh, but then if you look at... Uh, when, you know, the, the, the biggest events in, in, in Trump's life over the past year has been uh, this onslaught from the legal system, the five criminal indictments, 91 counts that he faces. And uh, I think that was a real turning point in the campaign when that first indictment from the Manhattan grand jury came down in March. And DeSantis and all of the rest of the Republican candidates took Trump's side and defended him. So that helped sort of politically inoculate him. And he was able to actually use these these legal issues that uh, you know, you, normally in politics, when you, when you get indicted, it's not a good thing. He was able to really turn that around to his benefit and make it an argument in his favor. And it's now really central to his campaign argument, the idea that he is uh, being victimized by the legal system. And you've seen voters gravitate to him on that basis. So next up is New Hampshire. Do New Hampshire and the other early voting states present different dynamics for Trump, DeSantis and Haley that they didn't have in Iowa? Yeah, absolutely. And we haven't even talked about Nikki Haley, but, you know, uh, she had, had hoped to come in second here in Iowa, even though this isn't the friendliest state to, to her candidacy. Uh, and so coming in third, I think, is disappointing for her. Uh, she and De- But she and DeSantis almost tied, right? DeSantis had about 21 percent, Haley about 19 percent here in Iowa. And uh, the race now moves into uh, territory that's much more friendly to Haley. Thanks for the insight, Molly. Molly Ball from the Wall Street Journal joining us this morning. 20 minutes now after the hour, here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. The U.S. military launched new strikes against Houthi targets inside Yemen yesterday. Two U.S. defense officials said the attack targeted anti-ship ballistic missiles controlled by the Iran-backed group and destroyed four Houthi rockets that were preparing to launch. Houthis launched a retaliatory attack hours later into international shipping lanes in the Red Sea, hitting a Maltese-flagged bulk carrier. National White House Security Council official John Kirby. If they choose to keep conducting these attacks, we will continue to defend against them and counter them as appropriate, even as we did today. 
President Biden, Biden's administration says it plans to put Houthi rebels back on a list of U- U.S. terrorist organizations. Number two. The Senate has advanced a short-term bill to extend funding deadlines and avert a partial government shutdown at the end of the week. Expiration dates for federal finances were January 19th and February 2nd. If the bill passes, funding would be extended to March 1st and March 8th. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. A small group of hard-right extremists seem dead set on making a shutdown a reality. With little leverage to actually enact their agenda, these extremists have tried again and again to bully the speaker. Another vote will need to be held to pass the legislation before Friday. Number three. ABC News has canceled tomorrow's Republican presidential debate in New Hampshire after Nikki Haley said she would not participate unless former President Donald Trump or President Biden participated. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis would have only been the only other candidate present but vocalized his disapproval. You owe the people of New Hampshire a debate. Uh, This is a a time-honored tradition that you debate in New Hampshire uh, the week before the New Hampshire primary. New Hampshire will hold its primary on January 23rd. Parents, let your kids squabble. Scientists at Cambridge University have confirmed that fighting between siblings increases one's social skills, vocabulary, and development. Kids with siblings tend to perform better on tests and have enhanced achievements later in life. I have to say, this is a tough one as a parent. I have two boys who are basically fighting all the time. I guess unless they're actually like hurting each other, I, I want to let them kind of fight it out a little bit because I remember my brother and I just beating the heck out of each other uh, when, when we were kids. But at the same time... Uh, uh, it also gets really annoying, so I just so, so go do it in another room or something like that. I feel like boys and girls might be a little different here because my sisters and I didn't necessarily get physical, but there was negotiations back and forth. <laughs> Heated negotiations Heated in the Murray House. negotiations. <laughs> Thanks, Nicole. For all the ones who get it done, Granger is always there to help. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, 24-7 support, free access to product specialists, and experienced staff at over 250 local branches. Plus, they provide real-time product availability online and have sourcing specialists who can help you track down hard-to-find items. And their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call 1-800-GRANGER, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Your brain's morning workout. You're listening to America's First News this morning with Gordon Deal. 34 minutes after the hour, Mike Gavin in for Gordon Deal along with Nicole Murray on this Wednesday, January 17th. Here are some of the stories we're following for you today. The U.S. military hits back against Houthis in Yemen. Bitterly cold and very messy winter weather continues to envelop much of the country. The Senate gets closer to avoiding a government shutdown. Meanwhile, House Republicans hit pause on the effort to hold Hunter Biden in contempt. The alleged Gilgo Beach serial killer faces a fourth murder charge. Asa Hutchinson, the latest to drop out of the presidential race after Iowa. Eagle Center Jason Kelsey announces his retirement after the team's quick exit from the playoffs. Alec Baldwin has a new film role starring in a video promoting the sale of his own house. And the hoaxer to the rescue. That story in about 20 minutes. This portion of the program is brought to you by UMA. Copper lines are going away, driving up the price of home phone service. Start saving with UMA. Go to OOMA.com to learn more. 
Some good and bad news about the economy as we get deeper into 2024. The good news is the likelihood of a recession continues to go down. The bad news is it still might feel like one. To figure out why, we're joined by Harriet Torrey, covering the economy for The Wall Street Journal. Harriet, let's start with that good news. It's becoming less likely that we'll see a recession in the next year. Well, that's according to a survey of economists uh, that we did this month. And yes, they did lower their probability of a recession in the, within the next 12 months to 39% from 48%. So it was pretty, pretty big jump. And it's, it's down considerably from, you know, the, the prior surveys that we've done. So clearly, um, economists are, you know, they now have more faith in um, the Fed's ability to achieve a so-called soft landing, which is where, you know, inflation comes down, but there, um, there isn't an outright recession. Having said that, um, this, this is a scenario in which it, it, it doesn't look great for a lot of people, even though it won't be an out-and-out recession. Growth is set to really slow, according to um, the economists that we polled. They they think that growth will be about 1% in 2024, which, um, you know, was since they expected about 2.6% in 2023, that is that is a significant slowdown. And, it's, and they do also expect that the unemployment rate will, will, will climb by quite a few percentage points over the course of this year. And so, of course, that means, you know, people becoming unemployed. They estimate, you know, calculated off what the... Um, you know, the number of people that were unemployed in December, it looks like around a million people would, would lose their jobs under this scenario. So it's it's not a recession uh, in the traditional sense of the word, but it's also not, you know, not a great uh, economic outlook that they're, you know, that they're expecting this year. Right. So we're not looking so much at a pullback. Instead, things will simply slow down and that's what will make it feel like a recession to a lot of people. Yeah, it'll just, you know, I think it, it'll just it'll just be a, a bit more of a difficult um, situation. You know, what, one thing that we did see in the past few years is that it was, you know, the quits rate was very, very high. People had a lot of confidence that if they quit their job, they could go out and find a new job, you know, a week later and get paid more money. Um, and that is just, you know, those that energy has sort of sapped somewhat. People are quitting their jobs um, at a slower pace. And they just, you know, people are just a little bit more kind of cautious, I think, around um around a lot of, uh, you know, the economic outlook. Having said that, you know, most, you know, the unemployment rate remains very low, especially by historical comparison. People are, you know, they're, they're earning wages. Um, but at this point in time, people are now, people's wages are now catching up with inflation. So they're, they're really, for the first time in a while, they're, they're, they're really, you know, m- there's money in their pockets um, because inflation has come down by so much over the past year and it's expected to come down even more. So the, the situation is definitely good for a lot of workers. Um, it's just that economists expect that the, the, the pace of job gains is going to slow down a lot. They, they're expecting around 64,000 um, new jobs a month to be created in 2024, which um, is less than a third of the 225,000 average in 2023. And in 2022, it was nearly 400,000 jobs per month. So we're looking at much slower job creation um, in 2024. And... Um, and just sort of cyclical sectors. So those, you know, the, the sectors of the economy that are very sensitive to to the, the the economy's ups and downs, those are the ones that economists expect are going to struggle in terms of job creation. So you know, things like um, manufacturing, uh, retail, transportation, warehousing, those cyclical sectors that people, you know, manufacturing is very sensitive to interest rates and borrowing costs, which you know remain pretty high. So 
those are the jobs that are, are seen as less likely to be creating. Those are the sectors that are expected to create fewer jobs, um, whereas there are other sectors like healthcare, for instance, there's constant demand for doctors, nurses, healthcare aides, and things like that. So those sectors are expected to keep creating jobs at a pretty steady pace. We're speaking with Harriet Torrey, Wall Street Journal reporter. Her story, it won't be a recession, it will just feel like one. So on the flip side, as you uh, mentioned a bit there, inflation is expected to continue to fall and the Fed is expected to cut interest rates. That's good news for most everyday people, something people would feel, right? Yeah, so there is a lot of, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of speculation around when the, the Fed is likely to make its first cut. Um, will it be, you know, will it be March? Will it be later? So there was, there's definitely a lot of interest in what economists have to say about this. And the economists were a little bit, um, you know, they don't expect the Fed to, to be cutting very aggressively, very quickly. You know, about a third of them thought that the first rate cut would um, come in April and about a third thought it would come in June. And, um, you know, only 20 percent of economists roughly thought that, that, that a rate cut would be as early as March. All right. Thanks, Harriet. Wall Street Journal reporter Harriet Torrey with us from Washington, D.C. this morning. Well, you know. It wasn't supposed to be this way. By now, Gordon Deal was supposed to be sitting in this chair. I was supposed to be sitting in my chair. And Dom Savino, he was supposed to be sleeping in. Uh, But the winter weather has wreaked some havoc with our plans. (laughs) And we have dragged Dom back in for the mic drop. Good morning, Dom. Oh, okay. Hey, hi, Mike. How are you? Uh, It's a good thing I'm awake. Uh, Good morning, Mike. Much of the country has been locked in a deep freeze for days, and while the snow has wreaked havoc on everything from the roads to the power grid, there's always a silver lining, right? Kids get snow days, employees get to work from home or not at all, and that is exactly what one woman in Oregon thought. Her name's Amira, she works at a Verizon store in Portland, and when the city got five inches of snow over the weekend, she woke up Sunday thinking, hoping she could go back to bed. But not so fast, said her boss. Amira posted a now viral video to TikTok showing her and her colleagues standing in a snow-covered parking lot with the caption, When everyone tries to call out, but your boss drives and picks each of you up. (laughs) Apparently, Amira called her boss in the morning and told him she couldn't come in unless she got a ride. His response? On my way. While that meant the snow day was canceled, it wasn't all bad, apparently. The woman said her boss stopped to get coffee for the group on their way into work and drove everybody home at the end of the day. Dom, I've actually done this before when I was the boss. Yeah, at a radio station years and years ago. Uh, It was a similar situation. It was a big snow, probably like a foot of snow, and nobody else had four-wheel drive. I was the only one who had a four-wheel drive car. People were saying, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it in. So I drove to their house and brought them in one by one, and then, yes, drove them home (laughs) at the end of the night. Had like three or four people in the back of my car just dropping them off along the way. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of effort from a, from a boss, I yeah. have to say. I'm sure they were all hoping for a snow day as well, but I, <laughs> sorry, I killed that. I did not bring them coffee, though, but, <laughs> but uh, the coffee maker was brewing at the station when they got there. Get into work, Mike yeah. said. And Mike, when you become a homeowner or a renter, the condition of your living space can quickly become a maybe obsessive point of pride, right? The nicest decorations, the most manicured lawn. If that's the case... This newest global contest is not for you. It's the first ever world's ugliest lawn competition organized by the town of Gotland, Sweden, to encourage locals to conserve water. Homeowners from the U.S., Europe, and Asia entered their lawns in the race, but they couldn't beat a starved patch of not much grass in Australia. It belongs to a woman named Kathleen Murray, who lives in Tasmania. She was recently photographed smiling widely while standing in her little plot of land with its sparse patches of yellow grass, shriveled plants, and dry divots caused by local rodents. (laughs) What did she win? 
a pre-owned t-shirt bearing the phrase, Proud Owner of the World's Ugliest Lawn. Murray is taking it in stride, however, saying she used to think the bandicoots, those are the rodents, were wildlife of mass destruction, but now she sees they've actually liberated her from ever having to mow her lawn again. I won the world's ugliest lawn competition, and all I got was this used T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the slogan for this contest from yes. now on. <laughs> Thanks very much, Dom. Gordon Deal out for one more day, we think. I'm Mike Gavin. With temperatures dropping, anyone who heads outside to exercise should remember that cold can affect both your safety and your exercise performance. The Washington Post writes that when it's cold, the body adjusts by moving blood toward the core, the brain, and the important organs, and away from the skin and the muscles. While this protects the brain and important organs, uh, can also limit exercise performance while increasing the risk of frostbite, breathing difficulty, and hypothermia. The American College of Sports Medicine urges avoiding exercise if possible when the temperature falls below minus 8 degrees Fahrenheit. And runners should take extra care because of an increased risk of breathing difficulties in cold temperatures. Some experts recommend holding off on cardiovascular or endurance training when the thermometer falls below 5 degrees. Also, another thing to keep in mind, shivering slows you down when your body starts to shiver it uses the muscles needed for exercise and puts them to use as a heater. Nine minutes now in front of the hour. Here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Palestinian militants launched a flood of rockets into northern Gaza against Israeli forces yesterday. Meanwhile, France and Qatar, who helped mediate a previous ceasefire, say they have brokered a deal between Israel and Hamas to deliver medicine to Israeli hostages in Gaza and additional aid to Palestinians in the area. National Security Council official John Kirby. We believe that these lower-intensity operations inside Gaza should be able to not only allow for a reduction in civilian casualties, but uh, a more reliable distribution of aid. The agreement will provide three months' worth of medication for 45 hostages with chronic illnesses, as well as other medicines and vitamins. Number two. House Republicans have halted plans to hold Hunter Biden in contempt of Congress for defying subpoenas last month when he failed to appear for a closed-door deposition. The House Rules Chairman Todd Cole says conversations between lawmakers and Biden attorneys are ongoing. If negotiations are not successful, Cole adds the Rules Committee will reconvene this later this week. Number three. New charges have been filed against accused Gilgo Beach serial killer Rex Hewerman. Hewerman was indicted yesterday in the death of his fourth alleged victim, 25-year-old Maureen Bernard Barnes. He entered a not guilty plea to the second-degree murder charge. Investigators say they linked Hewerman to Barnes' murder via DNA from a female hair found in the belt buckle used to bind her ankles, feet, and legs, Suffolk County DA Raymond Tierney. The fact that we were able to uh, utilize technology uh, to obtain a nuclear DNA uh, result that we are confident in and that we are confident in defending in court and making admissible, uh, these are all good things. Hewerman already faces murder charges in the deaths of 24-year-old Melissa Bethel-Armini, 22-year-old Megan Waterman, and 27-year-old Amber Costello. Self-checkout options can be found at 96% of food stores. However, several major retailers are reevaluating after high reports of theft. Target is currently testing a 10-item limit for self-checkout lanes to reduce wait times. Heather Fry with Rivertown Market near Cincinnati. Our self-checkouts is just an option. If you don't want to use it, please go see the regular cashiers because they're going to know you, know your family, know what you 
usually shop for. They're going to talk about the town gossip. Yeah, maybe paying a cashier might not be the worst thing in the world. <laughs> For these stores. I mean, people complain about not having the personal interaction. Those automatic self-checkouts, they break, they lag all the time where you have to have someone monitoring them yeah. anyways. Yeah, not to mention people walking out the door with, with the stuff. I yep. mean, and who doesn't love a little town gossip? I mean, come on. Thanks, Nicole. <laughs> yep, that's Hulk Hogan's music and the WWE Hall of Famers making headlines this week after springing to action Sunday night and helping to rescue a 17-year-old girl from a flipped-over car in Florida. Hogan's wife, Sky Daly Hogan, posted on social media where she explained how quick her husband and their friend Jake Rask pulled over to help after seeing the car crash on the highway in Clearwater. She says the two got to work quickly, puncturing the girl's airbag and getting her out of the car. The girl was said to be unscathed from the incident, just really rattled, which she called a miracle. The 70-year-old Hogan also posted on social media about the incident, saying that a ballpoint pen from the church he was recently baptized in helped pop the airbags in the car. That'll do it for this hour. For Nicole Murray and Dom Savino. I'm Mike Gavin. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.